Hello, and welcome to This Thing Called Life, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about acts of giving, kindness, compassion, and humanity. Your host, Andy Johnson, will introduce you to powerful stories about organ, eye, and tissue donation from individuals, families, and healthcare teams whose experiences will inspire you and remind you that while life is hard, unpredictable, and imperfect, it's also beautiful. We are so happy you're here. Now, let's join the show. Hi, everyone. This is Andy Johnson, host of This Thing Called Life, and I hope you are doing well. I have a great guest with me today who is going to share his experience with kidney donation. And I want to remind everyone that March is National Kidney Month, and today, March 10th, is World Kidney Day. We need to talk about kidney health and knowing our family history with kidney disease so that we can be out in front of this. Often people don't know they have it and we need to acknowledge this can be a silent killer. It can just cripple people's health uh, in ways that are just, it makes it very difficult to live a healthy, thriving life. More than 37 million Americans have kidney disease and high blood pressure and diabetes are often uh, what lead to kidney failure, which in turn then means dialysis and or the need for a kidney transplant. So we're going to hear more about that uh, from our guest today. But I want to tell you just I think you should know this, that more than 90,000 people in our country today are waiting for a life-saving kidney transplant. Let me say that again. More than 90,000 people in the United States are waiting for a life-saving kidney transplant. Here are some signs of kidney disease that you should be aware of. If you're feeling tired, you have less energy, having trouble concentrating, having trouble sleeping, you have dry and itchy skin. You feel the need to urinate more often, uh, or you see blood in your urine, or your urine is foamy. If you're experiencing persistent puffiness around your eyes, or your ankles and feet are swollen. And finally, having poor appetite, as well as your muscles cramping, which is also an indicator that that there's an electrolyte imbalance, um, which could impair your kidney function. So visit nkf.org for more information. Again, it's important uh, that we listen to our bodies, listen to your body. We all know, we all have that sixth sense that something is off. We know when something's not feeling right. So listen to that, act on that, and see your doctor. So as I've said before, Our podcast is dedicated to diving into the truths about organ, eye, and tissue donation because there's so much misinformation about it. So we're going to dig in and we're going to use this space and time together to create a better pathway to understanding and healing. And we're going to learn about what donation is and what it isn't. And once we have that understanding, we then can do better for ourselves and for our community. So with that, I want to welcome my friend, Mr. Idris Gray to the show. Hello, hello, hello. How are you, Idris? Hello, Andy. Hello, I'm great today. Uh, Happy World Kidney Day. And, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, As always, you know, um, like I mentioned to you before, we started recording. I love to 
you know, be an advocate for Life Center as well as National Kidney Foundation. Um, I've been involved with you guys almost a decade now, um, believe it or not. And, um, you know, it's, it's been an amazing ride, you know, ups and downs, but, you know, just you know, amazing uh, all the same. But, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, the uh, importance of, you know, knowing your body and knowing the signs of kidney failure, which is one of the top 10 leading causes of deaths in this country, you know, unfortunately, and a lot of people are just unaware of that. And they think it's just, you know, something they'll never get, including myself. But, you know, lo and behold, you know, it happens. So, you know, I, I'm just, you know, happy to be here uh, to speak on it and uh, to give people my story and just, you know, more information in general. That's awesome. And I think that, you know, that's how we learn and grow is through um, the sharing of personal experiences. And that's why I wanted to have you on. Uh, we've known each other a long time. And, you know, when I think about you, I just, you're, you're so resilient. You know, you've, you've had some health challenges through your life, um, but you've always maintained such just a can-do attitude, don't quit, and you just you push forward. And so I wanted you to share your story uh, with our listeners. Sure. Um, at age 16, as you can see, I have these gray hairs, so it's, it's been a while ago. <laughs> at age 16, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. Now, usually type 2 diabetes is set aside for adults, um, but usually, but in my case, um, because of my, you know, poor eating habits, family history, and, you know, just a sedentary lifestyle, I did play football, but I, I still, you know, didn't maintain, you know, a proper eating. Um, I was diagnosed at an early age. Um, in college, I, I did lose weight. You know, I, I dedicated myself in 2002 to uh, lose weight to exercise. And I lost about, you know, 50 pounds and all. I was about 300 pounds and I got down to 250, but I still didn't maintain, you know, uh, my diabetes. I didn't maintain, uh, and control it, you know, as well as I was supposed to. Um, fast forward about eight years later at the age of 27, as you mentioned, something wasn't right about it. You know, I experienced, uh, fatigue. I was tired. Um, you know, my legs were swollen and, um, you know, something was wrong. And I went to work that day and my supervisor, you know, graciously told me just to go home. You know, she saw something was wrong too. Um, when I got home, I collapsed on the couch and, you know, my brother and sister rushed me to the hospital. Uh, I thought it was just something that the doctor was going to say, well, you need to control your diabetes, get more rest. I was working two jobs at the time. So I was burning the candle at both ends thinking that it was just, you know, me being tired from that, but it was, it was much more. Um, he told me that first I had MRSA, uh, which of course is a bodily staph infection that most athletes get, but I, I wasn't much of an athlete. So, you know, I was, you know, I kind of debunked that stigma. Um, but then next he told me I had acute kidney failure and I was, I was shocked. I said, how did I get that? And he said, well, through uncontrolled diabetes. And for lack of better words, I was, you know, devastated because I was only 27 at the time. You know, you know, friends were moving on, starting families and, you know, moving on with their life, starting their career. And I was facing the dilemma of dialysis. He told me that in two years, if I didn't receive a kidney, I would start dialysis. And he was right. 
Um, you know, I, I experienced other health conditions, diabetic retinopathy, which was um, a detachment of the retina in the eye, which rendered me blind for three months. I was blessed to have surgery in my left eye, but my right eye is still gone. I had diabetic, uh, a condition called diabetic charcoals, which is a deterioration of the midfoot joint in my right foot. And that led to, after unsuccessful surgeries, an uh, amputation of my right leg, um, 2014. And of course, um, numerous grueling dialysis treatments for four and a half hours each day, three days a week for four years. Um, I was blessed in um, July of 2015 uh, to receive a phone call. Uh, it was Becky from Kidney Pancreas Transplant Department at UC. And I think it was just uh, another routine uh, question and answer, you know, just um, a follow-up to uh, appointments that I had. My dad and my sister were matches for kidneys, so I was excited that in January I'd be receiving uh, a kidney from one of them. But she asked me a very interesting question. I, she asked me, was I ready for a kidney? And I'm thinking like, uh, well, yeah, of course, down the line, I'm, I'm, everybody's ready for a kidney who's on dialysis. But now she asked me, was I ready for one today? And I asked her, well, you know, what do you mean? She said, we have a kidney for you here at the hospital. And I said, you know, it, it, it didn't click. Because when you're on dialysis for four years, that becomes your life. Mm-hmm. Everything revolves around dialysis. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't travel too far because you have to find a clinic that's you know, close to where you're traveling. You, you, you can't really do a lot of things with your family because you're exhausted, you're fatigued. So when she asked me that question, I, it, it kind of threw me aback. And I said, you know, who are you talking about? You know, I'm, I'm thinking she's joking. She said, how fast can you get here? That's when I knew she was serious. I said, okay. So I called my technician over. She took me off the machine. Uh, word slowly got around the dialysis clinic that I got a kidney and it was an applaud because I had been such an advocate for everybody there. You know, I, I'd been a member of a kidney foundation for about a year at that point. And, you know, I'd been to different, you know, functions and, you know, brought back information to the clinic. So they knew I was involved and, you know, they were very happy for me. Got to the hospital. They did a workup on me. It took about an hour and a half, you know, for a shower and blood test, things of that nature. and I was pushed into the operating room and I saw the kidney going up and down on ice. And it was so surreal. That day, I thought I was just getting dialysis treatment, going home, getting some rest, getting something to eat and, you know, getting ready for dialysis Monday. But I was going to experience a life-saving surgery of receiving a kidney transplant. And my mantra as I was being put to sleep was, I'm getting a kidney. I'm getting a kidney. And I fell asleep. And when I woke up, I felt the staples in my hip area. I said, it actually happened unless they put a cruel joke on me. But I said, I I received a kidney. And I already had been an advocate, but I I determined or or, I told myself from that point on, you know, I was not going to let my story go in vain, neither the story of the person who gave the ultimate sacrifice for me to live again. Because it was, you know, unfortunately, a deceased donor. And she made a decision to give life, you know, to anybody that needed it. And that was a blessing. So that was my initial kidney story. And I don't know if you want me to tell, you know, the situation now, but um, I'll let you ask that question, I guess. But that was my initial 
kidney story, basically in a nutshell. So what I appreciate about your story and about your honesty is it illustrates that, you know, this, this donation and transplantation isn't this like linear path. Like you, yes, you may receive this transplant, but it's not going to be just everything's going to line up and go the way it should, you know, because that's not life. Right. And so you were thrown a curveball, and I would like for you to share that because I think that's, I mean, it's, it's all important. And these are things that we need to understand. And I also appreciate you just sharing like the symptoms you were feeling and just all of that, because there's so many people who experience that every day and may decide to ignore it, or I don't have time, you know, and, and we, health is life. So we, we, ha- we can't afford not to ignore it. And so I think that's why these stories are so important because my hope is that it will encourage someone to take that step to visit their doctor if something isn't right. You know what I'm saying? So yes, please go into part two. Definitely. Um, before I go into part two, I do want to um, you know, make a point that you did make an excellent point that people tend to ignore symptoms that they're experiencing. And in my situation, I ignored it from fear or because I don't have time for this. You know, whatever it is, it's eventually going to go away. It's magically going to go away and, you know, everything is going to be, you know, rainbows and sunshine, but that's not the case. And a lot of times, the more that we ignore it, the more it grows into a bigger monster than it could have been before. So my key thing is prevention over intervention you know why not prevent it rather than deal with it with it when it's here so that's really what i want to stress to your listening audience that please just prevent it do everything that you can prevention over intervention right yes i love that prevention over intervention because once you have it you know, you're still going to have to deal with it. You know, you're going to have to deal with it when you prevent it, but you have a chance to stop it from forming complications. And so, like I mentioned, in 2015, um, I received the kidney transplant and I was, I was very gracious. I mean, it was, I felt, I don't know, I, I can't even put a percentage on how much better I felt. Now it was a it was a tough road initially because the immunosuppressant and the uh, anti-rejection medications that you have to take in order to keep the kidney they're tough. <laughs> they they it took about a month and a half in order for me to really even recover from those because those medications are extremely strong. One of the doctors told me that you know if you have a pet make sure you know you flush your toilet. Um, after you urinate, because if the pet has any, you know, drinks from the toilet, as they sometimes do, it can kill them. I said, wow, okay. And, you know, everything was great. I got a job. uh, I got a car. um, I, I, you know, still volunteering with Kidney Foundation. And, but it was still the underlying fact that I had diabetes. Right. And, that, of course, is the number one cause of kidney failure in this country. 
with high blood pressure, as you mentioned, being number two. So, you know, and ironically, many times kidney failure controls your diabetes. You know, because my A1C level was controlled no matter what I ate, it was under six. And the doctors were just baffled. But, I, you know, I had to ask a question to one of the medical professionals and say, you know, why is my A1C so controlled? You say, well, kidney failure controls diabetes. But once I got the kidney again, that was not the case. And it was an uphill battle in terms of controlling the diabetes. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to be transparent. I wasn't taking the immunosuppressant uh, medication as much as I was supposed to, mostly because of price. You know, I wasn't able to afford it, you know, many times. And, you know, I found myself. Um, Jump in for a second, Idris. You know, that's not uncommon. And it is so frustrating because, and I've said this many times on this show, you know, we live in probably the wealthiest country in the world, if not one of the wealthiest. And it should not, people should not have to choose, you know, paying for medications that will keep them healthy, keep their kidneys, you know, over the the other day-to-day necessities. And I, I will never understand that. But for so many people that that have kidney disease, it just it shouldn't be this way. And so I I appreciate your honesty in highlighting that and that you, you know, had to make choices and therefore you couldn't consistently take your medicine because a lot of people don't realize that. So thank you. Continue. That's definitely a a whole nother podcast we can talk about. But um, it was, um, I was working at a a daycare. I was a lead teacher for after school camp and a summer camp. Mm -hmm. And um, my doctor saw, uh, found that my creatinine level was going up. Now, creatinine is a, uh, a crucial, uh, for lack of better words, hormone, chemical in your body that I guess um, the kidney secretes. And the higher the creatinine goes, the more prone that your kidney is apt to go through failure. So my creatinine, um, you know, for kidney patients, you know, around the 1, 1. 1.2, 1. 1.3 range is a good range for kidney patients to have. But mine was about 3.4. So he was fairly concerned. So I did a biopsy in May of 2019. And after the biopsy, um, you know, of course, I was discharged from the hospital and I did a, a follow-up appointment. And then I went to go, you know, urinate and I was urinating blood. And I was on my way to work because I, I had, uh, you know, work after that. I said, well, can't go to work now. <laughs> this is a little bit more urgent. So I went back to um, the kidney pancreas department at UC and they immediately admitted me. They, and they kept me and they discharged me and they said, uh, well, we'll follow up with you. A few months later, I just kept getting sick at work. I mean, like to the point of, you know, up chucking and just feeling tired again. And, you know, I I knew the symptoms. And in the back of my head, I said, is this happening? Is this happening again? And, you know, so they 
did another biopsy and um, they said I had to start aparesis treatments. Now, aparesis treatments um, is a treatment in order basically to, for lack of better words, again, to recharge the kidney, to make sure that the creatinine level doesn't go up any further and things of that nature. And um, they told me, you know, unfortunately, there had been a lot of damage to the kidney and, you know, it can go either way, but most likely you will have to start dialysis again. In November, I started experiencing the major symptoms. As you mentioned, itching of the skin, fatigue, swelling, and I was just ready to start dialysis at that point. But he said, you know, you don't have to. So fast forward to January, um, you know, because I had to leave the daycare job, so I got a job at a hotel. And I was working there for about two months. And in early March, there were some guests that were staying there from Seattle. Now, as many people know, um, supposedly Seattle was ground zero for COVID, but nobody's really thinking about that. Nobody's, you know, thinking about COVID at the time. They didn't think really, you know, take it serious as a disease in China, like SARS was. So they, they thought it was just going to stay, you know, overseas. And, you know, they were still getting over Kobe dying. That was a major event in 2020, early 2020. So I wasn't thinking about it. But two or three days later, I was. I felt like hell. And I couldn't move. I, I was fatigued. You know, I couldn't keep anything down. It was just bad. And again, um, I urinated blood, so it was time to go to the hospital. Mm -hmm. So basically, long story short, <laughs> as you can see, I'm pretty long-winded. Um, they said, yeah, your kidney is shot um, at this point. That was March 17th. I was laid off from the hospital, I mean, from the uh, hotel. I asked, did I do anything wrong? They said, no, we just don't, we're not having any guests. Everybody's canceling. And I'm like, wow, this is more serious than I thought. So um, I started outpatient dialysis March 23rd, 2020. And in the middle of a pandemic. So, you know, once I got there, everyone is wearing masks. And not only do I have to fight kidney failure now, I have to fight the anxiety attacks and the panic attacks I was having because I didn't know my future and I didn't know anyone there. I didn't see their faces and I didn't even know if I had COVID, but someone in the news said, and it, and it, and it, it, it stick with me to this day, when you get it, it feels like you're drowning. And that's one of my biggest fears. And so for two months, if I caught a sniffle, if I had a sore throat, ultimate panic attacks. 2020, early 2020, was the most anxious by far I've ever been in my life. <laughs> With everything I've been through, that was the most anxious. I mean, it was almost crippling. But I had to buck up and say, you know, I can't let the fear kill me. You know, the viruses already potentially have a potential of killing me because I have low immune system, but I can't let the fear kill me. So I had to be somewhat of a semi-advocate as much as I could because, of course, we have limitations about what we could do. But, but yeah, that was, um, and I've been on dialysis almost for two years now. It'll be two years, March 23rd. So that's my, uh, the second story about my dialysis and uh, kidney journey. 
So has anyone, do, has anyone come forward to get tested for you to be a living kidney donor? Not as of yet, because I still I'm going through the process of getting back on the kidney list. You know, it was, there's a lot. There's a lot involved with that as well. It is. It is. I had to go through a stress test. Um, there, there are certain you know blood tests you have to do, and you know you have to go through an orientation to get back on the kidney list. And so there, there's a whole different process that you know you have to do just to become a candidate for another transplant. And, you know, at this point, I really want to make sure that all my, you know, I's are dotted and T's are crossed um, before uh, I reach out to someone and uh, ask them to make that, you know, sacrifice and that, that, that gift, um, because it, it truly is a gift. Life is, you know, the, the, the best gift that you can ever give. If you can give someone life, I mean, so, um, so I haven't really um, reached out to anyone as of yet. Do you feel like, I know you said you wanted to have all your, your I's dotted and T's crossed, like is, and you, you did talk earlier about the medications and the expense of those, like, is it, is there that piece of what, is there that at play that's preventing you from going through that process? Just like, is it financial? Is it lack of coverage? Is it, um, is it a multitude of things? Like, what is it? That's well, I'm I'm gonna be, as you know, I'm a pretty transparent person because of if the past. Andy, mind your own business. You can say that too. No, no, because I feel as though, you know, as humans, you know, we we tend to try to put our best foot forward for people to see. And when we're candid about certain things, it gives other people strength to be candid as well. Yeah. So I, I don't really, you know, fear people, you know, maybe judging or getting too much in my business because it, it really is empowering, to be honest with you. Um, once you're able to just you know put it all out there, it's cathartic. It's freeing in a lot of ways, right? It is. It is. I went through a major bout of depression through this second um, stent of dialysis. For one, like I mentioned, I really couldn't see anybody's face, and you know the anxiety and the and the the panic attacks. It really you know kind of crippled me. Second, I, I had a uh, parathyroid surgery. Now, many people are not under, are not sure what parathyroids do, but it controls certain hormones in your in your body, including your calcium. Because when you have, you know, your parathyroid uh, secretes its hormone on, on kidney uh, on dialysis, it steals a lot of calcium from your bones, and it deposits those that calcium in your blood vessels. But having parathyroid surgery, it does the opposite. Now your bones are extra thirsty for calcium. And now it takes calcium away from your bloodstream. Okay. And when you have, you know, there's a condition called hypocalcemia, which I had. And it was, it, that was an experience. I just got out of the hospital February, um, 
February 16th. It, it was it was pretty bad. And so essentially, you know, a lot of factors in terms of my mental stability. Okay. And really not even wanting a kidney. You know, it was a point during these two years that I said, you know, do I even really want to go through the whole process of getting a kidney again? You know, do I, I feel like a burden, you know, do I even want to ask anybody to get a kidney and then I go through rejection again? So it would be in vain. So all of these thoughts were in my head because I've gone through the process before and, you know, a lot of people don't understand the concept of fear of success. They understand the process of fear of failure, but fear of success because you know you have to endure so many obstacles in order to succeed and to get to that next level, to that next pinnacle. You're like, do I want to go through, do it again? You know, do I want to, do I want to experience it again? But I tell people ultimately that success is, it's everything. So, because it's life and, you know, I, I had to realize it. Um, I got my calcium in order and I think my low calcium was affecting my mental state as well because I was just so tired. I was so fatigued that I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't cl even clean my house. You know, I could, and I have a small apartment, so I, I had I, I couldn't do the things that I was able to do, and it was it was just um, it, it was it was bad. So, but you know, my mental state is a lot better now, and you know, um, now that it's warmer, I'm looking to push forward to actually get on the transplant list. Um, now that you know the restrictions of COVID has you know kind of subsided, and I'm ready to move forward now. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm really happy to hear that. And, and too, you know, as I said, when I opened the show, like the, when I think of you, I think of someone who's very resilient, very just courageous, has a wonderful sense of humor, but you are human and you've, you know, you, you went into that, that place, that dark place, um, because I mean, that happens. And I think in the in the midst of COVID, when there was that sense of isolation and not, as you said, not being able to see people's faces, because I think you're like me, you're like a connector, like you connect with people that way. And so not having that and then just kind of compounding that on this, this as you said, this fear of success. But, you know, what I would like to say in, in response to that is, you know, you've been you've been such a fighter. You matter. Your life matters. We need you here to continue to fight this fight and be an advocate and be a voice for other people who may feel the same way you you did at that, that particular time. And I think there are a lot of people, people who've been on dialysis for years and years and are just like, you know what, forget it, you know, and we, we can't have that mindset. We have to continue on, you know, and so I just appreciate, you know, you being open and honest enough to, to share, you know, what that what that's been like for you, because I know it's been tough. Yeah. And, um, and I'm going to um, say something else. Um, I was actually on dialysis and, uh, of course, a colleague of ours, that you know, uh, well, Perry Hall. Yeah. He, um, she texted me 
and she said that there was a young man who was struggling. Um, he was diabetic and he just started um, dialysis about maybe three months ago. And he was struggling with the idea of being on dialysis and it kind of mirrored my story. And I tell people a lot of times when you are down and out, I'm, I'm kind of a cosmic guy, as you can see in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, um, you know, I, I tell people, you know, I, I follow the law of relativity. And that states that you have to look at your trials and tribulations and everything that you go through and build strength from them. Because there are going to be other things in life that come along that you need that relative strength in order to go through that and endure it as well. And the second part of um, the law of relativity says that even though your situation might seem tough, there's always somebody's situation that's tougher. And a lot of people look at that as cynical. Well, I don't want to look at other people's situation and, and say that it's tough, but trust me, they're doing the same thing. Everybody has it tougher. Every, somebody has it tougher than you. And I remember when I was, you know, recovering from my blindness, I had um, surgery in my left eye and my right eye was gone, so I was still blind in one eye. And an association for the blind reached out to me. And I said, well, you know, I guess I'll go, you know, check it out, you know, because they had support group meetings. Mm -hmm. And there are people who were ultimately going to be blind. There are people who were blind their entire life. There were people who had different kind of blindness. And looking at their situation and hearing their stories, it made mine seem so minute and so unserious because I still had my one eye and you know it was 2025 vision so I still saw it pretty well so what I'm saying is when I get down sometimes I look at other people's situation and say you know what mine is not that bad I have to move on and I have to be an advocate so Perry understood that even though I was on dialysis she knew that I could at least give some kind of words of encouragement to this young man to say you know what, I understand, I'm in your shoes, let's work together, and, you know, we can be, you know, each other's advocate, and, you know, so that was, you know, basically what I wanted to say about that. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's wonderful that Perry connected you to that young man, because, you know, the bottom line is, this is not uncommon, this story is not uncommon, and, there is this unique community that I think many and you could probably agree. You didn't, this probably isn't the community you thought you would be a member of, but you are a member of it. And there's, there's a responsibility that comes with that. And just that um, lifting one another up, encouraging people, helping people understand kind of what, what this pathway looks like. Cause a lot of people just don't know what to expect going down that road of dialysis and getting listed. And, and so I think you're, you're helping people in a way that, that you don't realize yet. And that's part of your purpose. And so I hope that maybe that'll help encourage you on days when, when maybe you're feeling, you know, a little down or not so great, but that, I just feel like that is your purpose here um, because you have such a, an amazing positive attitude. Yeah. And I, you know, and as again, uh, you know, 
I, I follow the law of divine oneness too. And that states that everything is connected to everything else. What we do say, feel, and believe has a corresponding effect on others and the universe around us. So when I'm around other people, yes, I get down. Yes, I get, you know, um, downtrodden at times. But when I'm around others, I try my best to have positive energy as much as possible because that is, that, you know, makes somebody's situation just that much better. You know, I know people who, you know, when, when they come around, people are like, oh, here they come. But, you know, I try to be the person that when I'm around, somebody says, oh, there he is. You know, so I just, you know, really want to be as much of a positive influence as possible because ultimately this world is a hologram. We may, we are made up of atoms, which is 99.9% space. So what we truly are is energy. So as much as positive energy as I can put on somebody else, I really truly want to do that. And I do appreciate you saying that's my purpose. And um, yeah. So we're going to wrap up. Um, is there anything else you would like to share? Really, in terms of not just World Kidney Day, but every day, understand that your health is wealth. So many people are, you know, on Instagram and they say, you know, you can make this much money and you can get these cars and this nice house. But it's all for naught if your health is not in order. And, and going back and reiterating the phrase prevention over intervention, please go get tested. If you're not feeling that well, if you are exhibiting some of the symptoms that Andy mentioned, please just, just get tested. You know, it, it really doesn't take that long. It, it, it reminds me of a, a uh, situation that I, I volunteered my very first year volunteering for National Kidney Foundation on World Kidney Day back in 2014. We were in the um, uh, Western downtown and we had a setup where people can go get tested initially for blood pressure, you know, and diabetes. And there was a guy who said, hey, did you, uh, let's just go get tested. And he went to go get tested. And I said, how'd it go? He said, oh, man, I, I knew it was bad. I shouldn't go get tested. You know, and I said, well, you're doing it for your son and your grandson. He said, oh, well, my, my grandson got my son. You know, they don't need me. And I was kind of disheartened, like, wow. You know, I was kind of upset. But uh, a few days before, I, uh, Perry set up an interview on Channel 5, and Channel 5 interviewed me. And there was a guy who came in with his son, and he went to go get tested. He said, you know, I came down here because I saw you on the news a couple of days ago. And this is the reason why I came down here and get tested because of him. So there are, you know, people that, you know, I reach is like you said, and, you know, it's just important. And um, I, I'm just blessed to be a part of, you know, not only Life Center, but Kidney Foundation. And I'm going to continue this work as much as possible and as long as possible. So thank you for having me uh, again, Andy. It's, it's been, you know, a great experience all the way around.
Thank you so much. And I am looking forward to having you back again so that we can just check in and update listeners on your journey um, to your kidney transplant. And so again, I appreciate you joining me today and just again, being so honest and open uh, about what this what this life journey has been like for you. Um, so as we close today, I want to remind everyone that 106,163 people are waiting for life-saving organ transplants. And more than 90,000 of those people are waiting for kidney transplants. So your decision to be a donor, you taking the step to register to be a donor can mean life for a person who is dying. These are women, men, children, there are neighbors, there are people who we live and work and worship with in our communities, and they are also complete strangers. So please visit lifepassiton.org to get informed, to be empowered, and to learn the truths about donation. I wanna thank Idris again for being with us today. And I wanna thank all of you for listening. And just a gentle reminder to please be kind to yourself and to others. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon. This episode is brought to you by LifeSetter. Are you interested in saving someone's life by becoming a living donor? You have the potential to help save and enhance the lives of others, those who suffer from chronic illness or the effects of traumatic events. Statistics have shown that a new name is added to the national waiting list every 10 minutes. You have the opportunity to help others and save lives. You have the power to donate life. By offering a kidney or a portion of the liver, living donors offer their loved one or friend an alternative to waiting on the National Transplant Waiting List for an organ from a deceased donor. Today, the number of living donors is more than 7,300 per year, and one in four of these donors is not biologically related to the recipient. Go to Life Pass It On for more information. Thanks to Life Center for their continued support. Thank you for listening to This Thing Called Life. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your favorite podcast to make sure you get updates on all new episodes. And we would truly appreciate it if you would share, like, or give us a review to help us grow.